What's up, sons and daughters? This is Sam Jesse coming to you with the crew from the Locks of Saturday. I got Brett, Ryan, Robert, Chris, Ed, and boys, welcome to week 12. How are we feeling? When's basketball start? Uh, next week. Good. 25th, Hokies take on Radford. Yeah, we are feeling uh, we're feeling about like Virginia Tech right now. We are feeling at 500. Some wins, some losses at 500. Yeah, the scores are, uh, it's actually pretty close. If you check out the scoreboard that's on the Locks of Saturday article on sonsofsaturday.com, things are getting pretty close, heating up. So uh, these next few weeks are, are pretty important. Reminder that the winner of this gets a drink bought for them at Sharky's by Billy Ray Mitchell. He did not agree to that, but I said that on the first pod, so it's happening. Guys, we have a really awesome slate this week a bunch of top 25 matchups some fun belt uh tech and pit is just a nasty old big east rivalry so uh really exciting stuff we'll jump right into bedlam one of my favorite games of the college football slate all year and a little bit surprising oklahoma at at the time of recording this minus seven at home to a higher ranked oklahoma state team ed we'll start with you you have Boomer Sooner minus seven. Yeah, their offense has been clicking recently. Uh, They're putting up points fast. And, you know, that's kind of what you'd come to expect from an Oklahoma offense. Um, You know, Spencer Rattler was a little rocky to begin the year, but the talent has always been there. He's kind of a freak, and he's a perfect fit for that offense. He's very, very – there's a lot of Baker and Kyler in his game, but he's probably got a stronger arm than both of them. Um, I think as he continues to – you know, mature as a person and on the field as well. Um, that offense is going to continue to, you know, hum at a high pace like we're used to. And I just don't think any big 12 t- defense can slow them down. So, yeah, that offense in the past four games have been averaging 52 and a half points per game. Uh, so they are lighting up the scoreboard, even for Oklahoma standards. Robert, you have the Sooners at minus seven as well. Actually, I think, in fact, not to ruin the surprise, I think we all have Oklahoma. Uh, that is surprising. Is anybody? Now I'll do it this way. Does anybody feel super strongly about Oklahoma? Like, like why they'll win this game? Because the line was a little bit bigger than I thought it would be coming into it. I was like, oh man, I bet you I can catch Oklahoma here um, at like minus three or something like that. But Vegas has them at a touchdown. Anybody got any insight on that? I think it's solely the fact that uh, that um, Oklahoma State's like plateaued. I think they've skirted by the five and one team. They've won two out of the last three um, by five combined points, and I think this is kind of their peak right now. And they're just not going to do much better the rest of the year. And Oklahoma is trending upward. Like we said, their offense is absolutely insane right now. So. I think they're only going to get better, and Rattler's only going to get better as the season goes on. And it's going to be a scary sight to see next year when he's fully and fully involved in that offense. Yeah, for me, this wasn't necessarily a state of where they are in this season, but just a state of where they have always been as two polar opposite programs in this "quote unquote" I would say rivalry. So, went back into the uh, the vault to look at some of just the angles because I thought this game was more about just the how these teams match up head-to-head. And luckily, they've been playing this game for 160 years. So I figured there'd be some some tasty little nuggets in there. 
Uh, so the one was OU leads this series outright 16 to one with bone teeth unranked. Uh, since Lincoln Riley's been, although it's only been a couple seasons, uh, four, no two touchdown margin of victory, roughly Mike Gundy has been around forever. It seems like he's two and 13 in this game, losing margin of two touchdowns and just Oklahoma in 106 years, 81, 18 and seven in this rivalry, quote unquote. And that's a margin of victory of over two touchdowns in 106 years. Half of those wins by OSU came up until the end of World War II. So let's just say there hasn't been a lot of winning in Stillwater when they face the Sooners. It doesn't matter. This is not a rivalry because that applies that the other team wins once in a while. And that just just doesn't happen in this game. So uh, in addition to what uh, Brett and Ed just laid out, this is one where you just go with the rule rather than the exception and just go with the Sooners. Yeah, at 2-13 and 13 for Mike Gundy against Oklahoma, maybe if he started watching some film and turned off OAN, he'd have a little bit better idea about how to beat the Sooners, but who knows? I, I mean, it does seem like a really lopsided rivalry. That's kind of weird because Oklahoma State's been there. I mean, Oklahoma State's been in national title contention uh, a few times in the past decade. So it has been surprising that Oklahoma just has that number. This game is in Norman, Oklahoma. And I don't know, who knows what Oklahoma is doing in terms of fans at games. I have no idea, but you got to think that that is helping the line a little bit for the Sooners. Uh, Ryan, is it like an American tradition to bet the over in Oklahoma, Oklahoma State? Yeah, I think I was going to mention that as the as the resident over-under guy. I think this is a different game. I... The the numbers surprised me a little bit at 59 and a half. I think that's where it lays right now um, for the over under. And if, if I'm honest, I'm leaning under uh, just because I I haven't been blown away by either offense. I'm officially, you know, the conductor of the, the the Spencer Rattler is overrated and and immature train. I agree with Ed. Um, I think, you know, I think that, that, Com- compared with a with an an under an, an underestimated Oklahoma State defense, I think um, makes me lean under. I'm not playing it. I'm not going to play it. But if I had a lean, I would actually lean the under in this one, which is a sin if I'm from Oklahoma. But luckily, I'm not. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna lose a bet because I bet the under on Oklahoma Oklahoma State. That would that would make me feel bad. Uh, and and I, I tend to lean. I, teen, I tend to agree with you there. There's no, yeah, you know, there, there's nothing to be shameful of there. Yeah. So uh, that should be a great game. It's one of the best on the college football calendar every year. So looking forward to that one, and that'll really uh, not decide the Big Twelve outright, but it, it'll give us a pretty good indication about who the best team in that conference is. And talking about two of the best teams in their conference, guys, Ohio State number three in the country, going up against number nine, Indiana Hoosiers. Number nine. Indiana had a lot of hype coming into the year, but I don't think people were saying top 10. Ohio State is getting three touchdown favoritism right here. Three touchdowns. They're at minus 20 and a half. The game is being played at the horseshoe. Brett, talk to us about the Big Ten because it's been kind of a weird conference this year. Yeah, I would say the. I mean, the ACC has been disappointing, obviously, just because no nobody knows what's going on there. But the Big Ten is just 
really disappointing. I mean, you've had several teams that have just dropped the ball, but you've also had a team like Maryland that has just surprised everybody. But it's, I think it's, this is more of the fact that Vegas doesn't know what the Big Ten's going to do, but they do know Ohio State's good. And an undefeated Northwestern right now in the Big Ten doesn't tell me a lot. So I think if you let Justin Fields on the field and let him do his work, I think it's going to give the Hoosiers, I mean, not the Hoosiers. No, yeah, the Hoosiers. I'm thinking of a different game. They're going to give the Hoosiers a serious amount of problems. So I think the Buckeyes big here. I think this is the only way that they're going to uh, solidify their spot in the college football playoff as this is their big game of the year, which is absolutely insane to think about that somehow this is their biggest game of the year. So, yeah, Buckeyes big. Yeah, they're they're kind of, you know, ran out of big games for the year. I mean, if Michigan's bad and Penn State's bad and it's like this is this is kind of it for them and until they get to the Big Ten championship and probably play Wisconsin. So uh, they need this one and they need it convincingly. Robert, what you got here? Yeah, I think uh, kind of to touch on Brett's point a little bit, I think that Indiana's success has almost set them up for failure here. Um, if you look at Ohio State's schedule, um, minus the potential Big Ten championship matchup against Wisconsin, Indiana is the only team on Ohio State's schedule that is currently ranked. Um, so this is, quote-unquote, their biggest game of the year, which to me is laughable um, and just shows you the state of the Big Ten. But, you know, you look at teams like Ohio State and, and Clemson and Alabama um, who are so dominant and just go through – easily go through a weaker conference, um, they tend to play better against the higher ranked teams. Like they, they flip a switch and turn it on. Like they don't loaf going into a game against a top 10 opponent. So now Ohio state is fired up because this measly Indiana team thinks that they're the ninth best team in the country. And so I expect this one to be over and over early. Um, and granted, like this is a huge spread at 20 and a half, but I don't even think it's close to enough. I could see Ohio State winning this by three, maybe four touchdowns. Yeah, it's a huge number. Uh, you know, Chris, Ed, Ryan, uh, what do you have for this one? Because I think, again, like the previous game, this one was kind of, it was a bigger line than I thought there was going to be. I, I could definitely see Ohio State by about two touchdowns, which is what, what we saw when they played at Penn State. But three touchdowns just feels like a lot. Chris, what do you got? So this is the one where I think I said it in a previous one we talked about Indiana. They're they're like the pesky team that won't go away in the Big Ten. They are renowned for playing in conference close games. And that was just my assumption and then i went in and looked at and tom allen has them actually playing competitive football in the big 10 as evidence in conference they have a what they they still have an average margin margin of uh, loss of basically a field goal in all of their conference play uh since i think 2016 or 17 or that ever since tom allen's been there um and yeah, you look at them being the ranked the number nine team in the country, and you know that's probably inflated a bit, just given the state of where we're at right now in college football. But you know, against a ranked team, Ohio State trends in only a two touchdown victory spread. So all of that is just it's just too many points. I do think that Indiana is competent. 
I don't think they're going to win this game, but I also don't see Ohio State uh, winning by three scores. It's probably going to be more of they're up big and Indiana can score a couple garbage time scores late is more of it, or if it's just kind of held to a closer margin. But three touchdowns to to beat out a very competent Indiana team was just too much, in my opinion, this one. So the value here is, is, on, is on Indiana. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I mean, I'm not going to bet, again, I'm not going to bet that a top 10 team is going to lose by three touchdowns in a conference game. It's just, it doesn't feel right. And it, it almost feels like against the spirit of college football. Like if there is a top 10 matchup between divisional teams, it, it can't be a blowout like that. Like Indiana has to come to play. They just have to, or if they don't come to play, then this whole season is a fluke and everybody forgets about it. And Indiana goes back to sucking. And, you know, for Ohio State, I think they will win the game. I think they'll win it convincingly at the end of the day. But give me something like 14, 15, 16 point win for Ohio State. I don't think Indiana is going to roll over. I, I doubted them in the Michigan matchup. How good is Michigan? I don't know. But I mean, hey, they've they've played teams that are, quote unquote, more talented than them all year. I mean, they beat Penn State. They beat Michigan. Now they're playing another team that's more talented than them. So we'll see how they it kind of grow to the game, play up to their opponents, because that seems to be what they've done all year. Ed, Chris, what do you got in this matchup in Columbus? Yeah, super quick. Um, I mean, my, in the article on sonsofsaturday.com, I just simply wrote the best team in the country or the best player in the country. Um, I just kind of view that as, you know, this is the stopping point for this little Indiana run that they're on. I do think they're a lot better than people are giving them credit for. Now, are they, you know, are they the ninth best team in the country? Probably not, but um, they've played really well so far this year. And I think that, you know, they're trending in the right direction for the future. I just think because this is the biggest game on Ohio State schedule, they're going to come out guns blazing and try to bury them. So I'll go with Justin Fields. Yeah, just just something quick. I think it's it's disrespectful to me almost. I, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. And I'm, I doubt that college football players are looking at the line before their game. Maybe they are. Um, but this number is, this number is too big. Um, I think, I think Indiana is, is capable um, if they put it together to play a close game. I don't think they win, but I do think they keep it close. And just another point, can you imagine, us talking about Justin Fields Heisman statement game potentially being against Indiana. I mean, this is the best, this is the best team they're going to play um, as we've, as we've, as we've all touched on. But if this is, if this is his Heisman statement game, does that hurt his Heisman odds? I mean, it's got to a little bit. Uh, he can't really help it, but interesting game. I'm, I'm really interested, interested to see if uh, Indiana keeps the narrative up and, uh, and, and, and strives on here, but uh, we'll see. That's a great point. And you got to think about obviously Ohio State is a you know national championship or bust program. But I mean, you got to think if you come to Ohio State, you get up for Penn State, you get up for Michigan, you get up for Wisconsin, uh, a big non-conference game if you play it. Do you really get up for Indiana? I, I mean, do you? Because do you just see Indiana roll onto the field and you say, all right, easy W, no matter what they're ranked? Uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, that. You know, it'll, it'll tell us a lot about Ohio State, I think, more than it will about Indiana. All right, so we are going to move on to another Big Ten matchup. Wisconsin plus seven and a half at Northwestern. Uh, this, is, this is an interesting one because Northwestern has been sneaky good this season, 
in the Big Ten West. And Wisconsin has probably dealt with one of the most dire COVID-19 situations of any program. I mean, there was a time uh, a week and a half ago where it very much looked like Wisconsin would not be able to play a football season for the rest of the year. I mean, they were just completely decimated across the board. And then they go kick Michigan's butt last week for the second straight year. And now they're playing what looks to be one of their tougher games remaining on the schedule at Northwestern. Uh, I got Wisconsin here simply because as a program, they're built for these games. They don't really have letdown games that much. Like, yeah, once in a while they'll, they'll get upset, but I mean, this is a top 25 team in the division, and I think Wisconsin is going to come guns a-blazing. Wisconsin is probably going to put up 35-40, so if you're looking at the over-under, which is now at 44, I would definitely take that over because Wisconsin has been scoring out of their minds to start this year. Uh, and I would also look at you know, that Wisconsin offensive line and defensive line has just been dominant. They're dominant every year, but they uh, they have been a step up from even what they usually are. So uh, give me the Wisconsin Badgers plus seven and a half. I think they can win this one by three touchdowns pretty easily. It might be a blowout. Uh, Ed, I'll give it to you. You got Wisconsin minus seven and a half. Yeah, I made a little money on Wisconsin last week, so I'm going to keep rolling with that. Um they're they're legit and they've got a very well balanced offense. Um, you know, freshman quarterback. So we'll see if that continues. But until Northwestern, you know, I don't know. It's hard for me to believe that they're actually good. Um, I just really like the way Wisconsin's offense is balanced. You know, they always have the good O line, of course, and the good running game. But now they've got a quarterback that's you know able to make some throws downfield and keep defenses honest. So I like Wisconsin. You know, the far more talented team you know, on paper, at least to, you know, have that play out on this one. Um, you know, maybe Northwestern will jump up and surprise us. Like, you know, the big 10 super weird this year, but I like the Badgers to, you know, hold suit here and handle their business. Robert, what you got? Yeah. Seven and a half is like criminally low, uh, amount of points for Wisconsin here. Honestly, I could see them covering a seven and a half point first quarter spread. Um, they are far and away the better team. And okay. I haven't used this term to describe a bet in a while, but I think I'm gonna do it. This is free money. Go bet it. It's free money. Lock I'm, it oh, in. Lock <laughs> it in. I am Owen two so far on claiming things to be free money. So take that with a grain of salt, but I feel good about this. Are you locking it in? Lock it in. It's locked. It's a in. lock of Saturday. It is the, it is a lock of Saturday. I love it. You know, I, I totally agree. I, I think Wisconsin's going to blow them out. Brett, what do you got? Wisconsin is averaging 47 points per game. Northwestern is averaging 28 points per game. Averages are not a good statistic in terms of looking at the whole because the average rarely exists. <laughs> but they're averaging 47 points per game to Northwestern's 28 points per game. Uh Go for it, Brett. Yeah. So this this is when this when I'm at the Wildcats. This is the game I was talking about, but not the one beforehand. This is like Robert. This is my lock of the week. I mean, seven and a half is just way 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 too low. I mean, Northwestern. Yes, they've been sneaky good, but they beat a Maryland team. I mean, they waxed a Maryland team. 
but Maryland also went around and beat one Mich- a Minnesota team we thought was going to be pretty good. Turned out not the case. But they also beat a Penn State team that nobody knows what's going on up there. So, but Wisconsin, there's one thing for sure is that they're going to be consistent, keep away turnovers, and pro- and now they used to pound the ball down people's throats, but now they've got a balanced offense under Paul Chris. So, I think it's fully expecting Wisconsin to get to the uh, Big Ten championship against to play Ohio State. So they're going to have to keep making statements, and they can't afford to lose a game. So, and they also win this game. I mean, they're still they're still thinking about the playoff. I mean, they still have to get their Ohio State. They, but I mean, they can't afford to lose a game. So I think they're going to win big this week. I think by three touchdowns. Yeah, Wisconsin has matchups. Uh, they have this game at Northwestern. Then they have home games against Minnesota and Indiana and this season at Iowa. So they're going to have to be really impressive because those games against Nebraska and Purdue were canceled. So uh, not a whole lot of room for Wisconsin. Uh, they'll actually have to, they'll have to play all of those games in order to qualify for the big 10 title. Uh, you know, I'll just kind of open it up to the floor with this question. Uh, you can talk about this game as well. If Wisconsin runs through this schedule, what do you think they'll be ranked going up against Ohio, presumably Ohio state, uh, or Indiana? I won't rule out Indiana, Ohio state or Indiana in the big 10 title game. Cause my guess is they would have to be, top five going into that game in order to have a shot at even touching the college football playoff. You just kind of have to think about who's in front of them right now. So the top four is kind of locked up. Um, and then, you know, they'd still be behind a theoretical Clemson game. So you're talking about going into that matchup for the the big 10 championship. Um, so literally the big 12 kind of canceled itself out. The big 10's got Ohio state, nobody else. Um, so they'd probably be right behind, maybe at like seven or six behind Georgia. And I, I just don't see any of the Pac-12 teams getting high enough to get enough clout there. So it's really just what happens with Cincinnati, what happens with BYU for the rest of the season. If they remain tough, they could be maybe put in front of them if they run the table. But if not, they're probably ranged somewhere between uh, probably – five to seven or eight. But I don't think that they're going to fall outside the top ten. I just they're probably going to get ranked above them. But go figure in a year where Wisconsin figures out that they have a passing attack. The name of that quarterback is is Graham Mertz, which is uh, also ranked in the top five of worst quarterback name in, in college football, uh, possibly. Uh, so I just find it's really hilarious that Wisconsin finally gets a passing attack and the name of the quarterback is 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 just awful. <laughs> yeah, and you know, talk about the quarterback. He can sling it, though. He can sling it. Uh, He's good. They, He's also, I think, one of their highest-rated, touted recruits that they've had in a long time for that position. So it's actually our, complimentary to what they've always done, which is run the football. And that they finally get a quarterback, and they can't even get that right. Come on, Wisconsin. Hey, I've I've been told Wisconsin. I've been told Wisconsin only takes gritty three stars and turns them into players, but uh, they have a whole lot of four and five stars on their team. If you look at their roster, just saying. Uh, and they also have one of the best recruiting classes in the country for next year, but I digress. Ryan, we've talked a lot about the over-under for this game. Uh, Wisconsin is averaging uh, 47 points per game, and the over-under is set at 44. So let's go, man. Over-unders. What games are we sweating out this Saturday? So, yeah, so the the the, um, the slight reference to the over at the beginning of the discussion about this Wisconsin-Northwestern game um, is where I'm laying my hat as well. It's my most confident one. Um, I do like Wisconsin in the game as well. But 
the over here, this is an NFL number at 44. I, I don't know what Vegas is looking at. I, I understand the historic nature of, of really both of these teams, but Wisconsin to run the football. But, uh, you know, this guy, Mertz is a real deal. We've talked about it. I won't, I won't beat a dead horse there, but um, Northwestern is also averaging 28 points a game. So, so they're not, they're not sleepwalking through games. They, they have a solid defense. They lead the big 10 with Iowa and, and interceptions at eight. So Mertz will be tested there. And I, I think he'll have to recognize some of those tricks they're going to play on him um, in the secondary, but, I like this. I, I mean, how do you not like the over? Um, it just makes sense. This is not classic Big Ten football anymore. Um, I think you know this. This is the one that this is the one that I like to go way over the forty-four. I, I don't get it. I don't get the line. I think Vegas is Vegas is a little bit behind. Um, next one that I'll mention. Um, so I I had uh, originally had Kansas and Texas over. Um, if you can believe it, uh, Kansas overs this year are six Oh and one. So they have not had an under in one of their games this year. Uh, maybe you can believe it because they can't stop anyone. So teams are just putting up numbers against them and, and pushing that total way over. But, um, because that game has just been postponed this afternoon, I'm going to pivot a little bit to, um, Cincinnati and UCF. So this game was, um, uh, or Cincinnati was brought up a little bit earlier, UCF classic potent offense and they remain that way this year with averaging 619 yards per game a little bit of a quarterback duel out here with Dylan Gabriel versus Desmond Ritter I think Ritter's a little bit better on the ground Gabriel can certainly sling it through the air Um, Cincinnati has been pretty decent at stopping some high-powered offenses with Memphis and I think I, I, I hesitate for this one just a little bit because of that but I think I think the number is a little bit lower because of that. And 63 and a half uh, in a UCF Cincinnati game, just it doesn't look it doesn't look like quite enough. I think um, I think this is a little bit of a shootout game. I, I think Cincinnati likely will win this game by more than one touchdown. And, and that'll tell you. Uh, I mean, to me, when I think about Cincinnati, I think it's when I think about Cincinnati winning this game, UCF is going to put up a ton of points. Cincinnati is going to have to outscore them. And I think they do. Um, I, I see it. I see both teams potentially getting up in the 40 range, maybe even um, if, you know, if all bets are off and, and the horses are let loose, but we'll see. That's kind of a last minute ad. I do like it over thir- over 63 and a half. Um, so the last one I've been, you know, if you've been listening, I've been on or been reading the column. I've been on SEC overs. I'm going to pivot a little bit because this Auburn Tennessee game feels more like a like an old school SEC. The, the, both of these teams haven't yet haven't yet caught up to the new high powered fast break SEC that we see with with Alabama and Ole Miss. I, I, I think this still feels like an old school game and the over. So the over under, sorry, is set at 50 and a half, which I get is a little bit low, but I think both of these teams again are still old school Auburn's under record. So I mentioned Kansas being over six, six out of seven times. Um, I think so Auburn's under record is actually five and one. So Auburn's games are hitting unders five out of six times. And, and, and Tennessee is right there with them with, with an under record of four and two. So I'm going to run with the trends here. I think trends is trends is where I'm going to lay my hat for this game, just because I, I don't have faith in either of these two offenses. I, I think Bo Nix has not been, not been impressive in any way. And Tennessee has had their, you know, heralded struggles at quarterback. So 
give me the under, um, give me the under here in a, in a more classic sec battle. I know I'm kind of being hypocritical here with the sec under, but I think this one's a little bit different. Um, but there you go. Hopefully it's not sweating out. I hope you're not sweating in Wisconsin and Northwestern in the fourth. I, I really feel like that one. I really feel like that one. You should get on early. Uh, if you haven't been on it already hit that now before that line changes, because I think there's going to be some money coming in on that over. Great stuff, Ryan, as always. Again, you know, that Wisconsin-Northwestern game, kind of to pivot back to it. Uh, Sharp Analytics has the naive spread, which is a purely analytical uh, spread that they do for that game. At Wisconsin, minus 15. Vegas is giving you Wisconsin minus 7.5. So, uh, uh, some to think about. You can jump on that, jump on it quick, because who knows how the line will move between now and kickoff. And we're going to move from the boring Big Ten and the boring SEC East to the fun belt. The fun belt. Guys, one of the best games of the weekend is in the fun belt. Um, obviously, I mean Sun Belt. And obviously, the game I'm talking about is Appalachian State plus five and a half at the Cinderella's, the darlings of college football this year, Coastal Carolina, a team that was supposed to be abysmal coming into the year, is now sitting undefeated top 15 and they are five and a half point favorites at home on the teal turf against Appalachian state, a six and one Appalachian state team. Robert, thank you for the pronunciation guide in the article. Uh, Appalachian state, not Appalachian state, Appalachian state. Uh, you have Appalachian state Mountaineers plus five and a half against coastal. Yes, I do. And again, Appalachian, not Appalachian. If you want to get on my bad side, say Appalachian. That's biggest pet peeve in the world. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, I just think that this game is going to be very, very close. And um, it's going to be a lot of offense, two very fun teams. And I think Appalachian State is a little underrated here. Their one loss this season was to Marshall, who Marshall is a very, very good team, as we've all seen. Uh, you know, Tavante Beckett and company are very good. Um, so I think five and a half points is ultimately just too many points here for Coastal. I would not be surprised at all to see them win the game, but I just think whoever pulls this game out, it's going to be probably by a three to four point margin. And I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say that uh, Miller Gibbs, who is the grandson of pro football and NASCAR Hall of Famer Joe Gibbs, uh, my former employer, he's going to catch a touchdown to help the Mountaineers cover. So roll Mountaineers. Ed, you have App State as well, plus five and a half. Yeah, um, from a football perspective, I'm going with the more consistent team. Um, you know, over the last few years, App State's been consistently a very, very good program, regardless of who their coach ha has been. Um, you know, they've had multiple coaches over multiple years now and they continue to just be a just solid program. Um, so I like them to cover the five and a half here and probably to win the game too. Um, Coastal just seems kind of gimmicky to me, you know, the field and like some of the stuff they do in the locker room. And I don't know, I'll take the, uh, the more consistent program, um, in a game like this, but I also had to pick up state cause I'm a huge Eric church and Luke Combs fan and they both went there. So Upstate. Yeah, I get what you're saying about Coastal Carolina because I feel like in college football, there's one or two teams every year just like Coastal Carolina where they come out of nowhere and they're everyone's darling team. 
and they're playing out of their minds and the trick plays are working and you know every the ball's bouncing their way and it's super exciting and around this time of year that always crashes down like they always get beat it, it's just kind of how the sport works and guys I, I think we forget so much over the past like five or six years app state has been one of the most winning most consistent college football programs in the country and and they've done so by winning these games when they do have a big game when louisiana lafayette's a good team uh you know when they play you know they have wins against unc they have wins against nc state they they play up to every game and i really like the mountaineers in this one uh if i'm going to give you a guy to watch daytrick harrington the running back for app state he has 595 yards seven touchdowns on the year. That's an average of 5.6 yards per carry. That is absolutely phenomenal. And App State is the type of offense. So uh, a quarterback, Zach Thomas, he's a true dual threat guy, can stand the pocket, make throws, but is also really electric running the ball. I think they're just going to read option Coastal Carolina to death and then hit a couple big passes downfield. And, and uh, you know, I, I kind of, Part of me wants Coastal to win the game, but looking at it uh, purely by the numbers and purely by what I've seen from App State and what I've seen from Coastal this year, it's uh, give me App State plus five and a half. That's not saying Coastal will win. You know, Robert, you said that earlier, but five and a half points is is a little bit much for me in a game where I think talent-wise, App State is the much, much, much better team. Brett, what do you have in this Fun Belt matchup? You do love the Fun Belt. Yeah, I love the fun belt, man. Let's be real. Uh, but I also love the Chanticleers. I've loved what they've done. And they've done a couple features on them on ESPN and some other places on Instagram and whatnot. And they are just having fun out there playing football in just a season that's not a lot of fun for a lot of people. And I think that's what's going to get them to win. I think they're going to go out there and let it all loose. Maybe an App State team that honestly I think has a lot of pressure on them to win this game, whereas Coastal Carolina has had nothing to lose all season and they're being successful. But I found an interesting stat when I was researching this game. App State is one and six against the spread this year, while Coastal Carolina is five, one and one. So Coastal has proved game in and game out that they are capable of being able to beat teams and cover. So I think Coastal Carolina is going to get this by like a touchdown, 10 points. So I think it's going to be close. I really do. But I think Coastal is going to pull away on the teal field. Ryan, what you got? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm kind of with Ed here. Like the the recency bias versus consistency bias, I may have just made that up a, a new psychological term, if you will. But um, I I don't South, or Coastal Carolina is a great story. They've been um, they've been this year's darlings, but it, it feels like there's one of those every year that doesn't quite get all the way through. Um, and just historically, the narrative is that, you know, they, they have a there's a great team. Everyone's kind of rooting for that team. I think, you know, the public, the, the, the country as a whole is probably going to be rooting for Coastal Carolina just because of a lot of those features. They have a lot of fun in the locker room. But um, this comes down to uh, App State having been there, having beaten very good teams for a very long time. Um, and I think they pull pull it out close. I, I think this is more of a pick 'em line for me, really. And I think uh, that the home the home field may be pushing it a little bit towards Coastal Carolina there, but um, it feels more like a pick 'em. So give me the points with the more more proven program. Should be a good game, and you know, shout out to the players on both teams to be able to play in 
and a game that'll be nationally televised and game that a lot of people will watch. That's got to be awesome because you may not expect that going to Coastal Carolina or App State to play football. And here you are on the big stage. So awesome for both of those programs and good for Coastal. Fertile recruiting ground. They should be able to put together a, a good teams consistently. We're going to move in to the main event. Virginia Tech traveling to another team in a fertile recruiting ground. Excuse me. Big East battle. Uh, Two teams that hate each other. I think I was thinking about it as Tech was playing Miami last week. I was like, you know, who is Tech's real biggest rivals? Because, you know, it seems like it bounces around every few years. I think Pittsburgh, in terms of the fan bases and the actual teams, is one of Tech's the more heated rivalries. I mean, these two teams hate each other hate each other and you know there was a lot of uh you know with Pitt last year Virginia Tech smacked them around the field shut them out Pittsburgh doing some pregame antics in the end zone uh leaving the locker room not as nice as they found it uh but hey it's a it's a rivalry game and Virginia Tech coming off of two really heartbreaking losses guys Virginia Tech is has basically lost three games Two of them to top 25 teams by one by, by one possession. Or actually, I guess you could say, I mean, you could say the UNC game, Tech is one possession going their way away from kind of making that a game late in the fourth quarter. The Wake Forest game, Tech loses by a possession. Liberty game, Tech loses by a possession. Miami game, Tech loses by a possession. So although the Hokies are sitting at four and four, from a macro standpoint, no, I say bet the numbers, not the team. They're a much better four and four than it feels like. And and I know it's it's been really tough being a tech fan the past month or so, but this team is not getting blown out the water. This isn't Florida State. This isn't Tennessee. Like Virginia Tech is is not playing horribly, and they're going up against a pit team that has been much more disappointing in terms of their on-field product than Virginia Tech has played Pittsburgh also 4-4 four and four on the year. Uh, I'll shoot it over to Ed. Uh, what do you have for this matchup? Because it seems like this is a 4A rivalry game. The hype really isn't there because I think these are two programs that are just have swung in this this year, to be fair. Brett already stole my opening line, but is it basketball season yet? I couldn't even tell you what time this game is at. I'm just defeated and tired. Um, what time do we play, actually? Does anyone know? Four? Okay, cool. Four o'clock. Maybe I'll turn it great on. kickoff time. It's a great kickoff. Maybe I'll turn it on. Maybe I won't. Like I said in the article, they should win and they should cover, but that's the same thing you could have said the last two weeks. So who really knows? I mean, they, the offense just completely doesn't look anything like it did before Khalil Herbert got injured. And I don't think that has to be the case. I don't think Jalen Holston is much different of a running back than Khalil Herbert is. I think they run similarly and they just refuse to use him between the tackles. They just love to just jam Raheem Blackshear in the middle of the tackles and see what happens. And it's just not working. Um, I've kind of, I've kind of zoned out. I've kind of turned my focus to basketball to be completely honest with you. I'm really excited about our basketball team, but so I have Pitt plus three and a half. Um, Pitt's very similar to Virginia Tech. Who knows what team's going to show up? But until they win and play well, I, yeah, I have a hard time picking them the way they've been playing recently. So, Ryan, I'll pivot over to you. Virginia Tech is minus three and a half, so still favored at Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, um, this this doesn't seem like a game we should lose, but I've said that before. And I I think, you know, I I get why we're favored. I I honestly, if you had asked me earlier in the week before the line came out, I would have maybe said six to seven. Um, And I think I am spurred on by the fact that Pitt has been dealing with with these COVID-related issues and they've had They've had a lack of preparation and in, 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 in time to get ready for this team. I think it, you know, no surprise that I think it's probably going to come down to the lines. I think that it's been heralded all week. If you followed the buildup at all, that the pit defense is allowing, I think 2.2 yards per rush. And um, our offensive line is, is, is needs to needs to step up here and, and make those running lanes. Cause we haven't, we haven't shown much through the air that we can win a game that way. Um, you know, I, I honestly think I wouldn't be surprised if we, we throw some trickery out with a kind of nothing to lose type game here. We maybe throw the kitchen sink at them and see what happens. Um, to, just for the record, I'm not going to bet against tech. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I can't, I can't bring myself to do it as a diehard fan. Um, but, and, and who knows what the attitude around this, this program is right now. There's been so much talk about, about everything, but this is a game we should win. I'm still going to, again, like you said, Sam, bet the number and I'm going to ride it. I'm going to ride with that. Chris, uh, you know, this is kind of, you know, as a tech fan, as people who have watched Virginia tech through the years, through the Beamer era, Heinz field is kind of a house of horrors. And it seems like Virginia tech and Pitt flip-flop every year on which team it shows up to play in that game. Virginia Tech fans, I think, playing this game at Heinz Field in Pittsburgh, it's just, it's, you always kind of hold your breath because there have been some great moments there and there have been a lot of really, really bad moments there. So uh, what do you have here? Well, keep in mind, I've been there in the stands as a fan during the, you know, kind of infancy of this kind of old Big East rivalry when Larry Fitzgerald was just, uh, is just futility uh, on the field watching him. Um, I, and ever since, you know, Pitt has just always been this game where we go on the road to Pittsburgh, regardless of venue. And it, it's like going to the Bermuda Triangle. It's like this, this field and the Carrier Dome at Cuse are just where we go to lose random games where we're favored, regardless of the spread, heavily or close. And we're still seen as a favorite. Uh, we don't perform well. So, I kind of had to do some soul searching in this game, to be honest, uh, this season, you know, one and three against the spread, um, as a road favorite, uh, under Fuente five and 11 as a road favorite, you know, it doesn't, doesn't bode well for going against a game right now where it's, it's looking to be kind of like a defensive, you know, a defensive battle. Um, so this game for me is solely about, uh, Pat Narduzzi's inability to properly manage getting players prepared coming out of a COVID protocol. Uh, He's just one of those coaches that just doesn't seem to be ready to manage the variability that's going on. And we've seen that across the board, just when he's just in general game planning. Um, So I just, I feel like the slight edge right there automatically leans to, Hey, in a matchup between Narduzzi and Fuente, you know, Fuente gets the extra advantage in this one. And then you mentioned the the Sharp spread before. Um, Sharp actually has this game as Virginia Tech minus 13. So there's something that they're seeing that's not there uh, kind of visibly on paper. I had trouble finding it myself because in theory, 
they match up well against us, especially in the front seven and stuff in the run game. But I think when you think about their kind of quote unquote vaunted pass offense or pass defense, like literally it comes down to just getting Luke Tenuta and Brock Hovind and tear portion of the offensive line just to kind of shore up and play the game in their life. But if you think about it, like I'm not worried about Christian Darisol. That guy's he's he's closed out everybody this season. He's going to be a first round pick. So whatever they can throw at him, I'm not worried about it. So then it just comes down to have, can we get looks in the secondary and with Paris Ford going down? I think we can. Um, it depends if per- James Mitchell comes back and can be healthy. and can get some looks downfield. And on the opposite side of the football, what is Pitt playing offense? You know, what, what, what do they really have that is striking fear into the hearts? It used to be a dominant ground game. Now it's just a mediocre Kenny Pickett, you know, kind of just hopefully not throwing interceptions or hopefully in this game throwing interceptions. But I just don't see in this matchup, the, uh, the, the, the former, uh, kind of mismatch for our personnel against their personnel. I see a more mediocre pit team that has been going through some massive, uh, COVID protocols with one of the least, I would say confident head coaches, um, which is saying a lot usually in, in Pat Narduzzi. So all that combined, I think we can use those combined to get over this Heinz field hump. Like we just, we, we needed the, 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 all those elements to come together to do it. So I'm going against the trends and I'm going with my head in this one, just based off of those variables. Yeah. You know, I'll, you know, go here and then Brett, I think we'll have you round it up. Cause I think what you wrote was probably the most, the simplistic and encompassing viewpoint of this game. And look, I, I'm not super stoked on how the Hokies have been playing as of late. And I think a lot of it is the inability to play 60 minutes. That scares me about this because you know Pitt will be a team that always plays hard. But you know, I got to tell you, with Paris Ford going down, who's one of my favorite players in college football, I love the guy. Um, I, I don't think this Pitt team has the attitude that we usually see from Pitt teams. Uh, they have not looked very good at all this season uh, a lot of their like positive stats including the rush defense has come by playing very very bad offensive opponents in Austin P and Syracuse they kind of padded their stats in those games and then offensively which I think is the bigger story for Pitt again a team that you know uh so many great great running backs uh you know the James Connors of the world and and all that is it's gone. They don't have it right now. Right now, their leading rusher, Vincent Davis, the, the sophomore, has 104 attempts for only 313 yards. That's about three yards per carry. That is abysmal. Like that is very, very bad. Um, you can't win with that. Their offense, uh, offensive coordinator Mark Whipple has implemented this offense where the idea is to get your playmakers in mismatches, usually with linebackers or safeties. Uh, so when they had uh, French, uh, I forget his first name, but um, a Mar- it was uh, Maurice French. Oh, yeah, French. Maurice French. Maurice French. Oh, yeah. French. The reason why he was, was so good at the time was because of this offense. They would put him in motion. They would get him on a linebacker. They would get him on a safety. He's just a faster guy. He's a better route runner than they were coverage people. Get him the ball. He's going to be able to do things. They don't have that guy. They don't have a guy who can do that, and yet they're still running the same offense. Kenny Pickett is, and I put this in the article, he is the quarterback that all of the fans thought he was and nothing like the quarterback sports journalists thought he was. 
I mean, this guy was uh, told to be an NFL quarterback and he he's not it. He's not it. He doesn't have the weapons around them. He doesn't have the offensive system around them. I think Virginia Tech, who their defense played much, much better against Miami. I mean, much better. That team looked so much better. Ashby and Dax both had their best games of the year. Gerard Hewitt came out of nowhere. Who knows what you're going to get with that guy, but hey, he played a really good game against Miami. And for the most part, Tech kept Derek King in check. I mean, that's a guy who's going to make some plays. They did a pretty good job getting after him, containing him in the pocket. So I think this is a game where Virginia Tech can keep them probably under four touchdowns. And I think you'll see a Virginia Tech team that tries to pass the ball a little more. We'll get into the run pass split in a little bit. But I think you're seeing a trend where they're trusting Hendon Hooker's arm a little bit more and not trusting the interior of the offensive line as much as they did to start the season, especially with Khalil Herbert not being at 100%. Uh, will they get Jalen Holston into the game? I hope they do. I think Jalen Holston is playing really good football and just not getting the carries. So I hope he gets the carries in this game. I think this is one where he could show out and have a big game, similar to like uh, when Trey Edmonds had those really big games for Tech. Uh, I kind of see that where he's not going to have crazy stats, but uh, he he's going to get the job done. So I have Virginia Tech minus three and a half. Virginia Tech should win this game. I think Virginia Tech should win this game relatively com- comfortably 10 14 17 points but again we'll see i think a lot of it comes down to coaching decisions in the second half you know do the coaches put the players in the right positions to make the play is the play calling uh you know professional <laughs> to to put it in a way and you know it comes down to that but i think virginia tech should win this game they're the more talented team they're playing better football believe it or not give me the hokey minus three and a half brett round us out so I, I have a few points in the article. I kind of short and sweet, but I think they're all important. Quill uh, Herbert is healthy. He's number one. I mean, let's just be real. The offense is just on another level when he's in the game. Um, you, I mean, last week you could even see he was in the game, but he was not fully ready to play. I mean, you could just see he didn't have that explosive boost that he has when he hits the hole or those cutbacks that he usually hits. He just wasn't completely healthy. And you could tell last week. And on the other side, I really hope that of that that Jalen Holston gets in the game I completely agree I think he really actually boosted the running game last week when we needed it most especially on a few different drives uh second thing is no turnovers turnovers have absolutely killed Virginia Tech in the last few games especially on important drives namely in the Wake Forest game and then also namely in the Miami game on pretty much when we had the ball five minutes ago we decided to go deep and hook her through an interception so no turnovers especially down the stretch is going to be is going to be key for the Hogies. Uh, getting pressure on Kenny Pickett. They're obviously going to try to sling the ball. Ever since Kenny Pickett came into the picture, for some reason, Pittsburgh has decided to try to throw the ball 45 times a game. I don't know why. I don't know why they think he's like some abnormally good quarterback. But if we can get pressure on him like we did last year in a run game, like they had in, like they had to run the ball some last year because it was pouring down rain. But when he did have to drop back, we got pressure on him. And we got a defensive touchdown after after on a strip sack. Yeah, I mean, from the offense that brought you Nathan Peterman, Here's Kenny Pickett. So yeah, I'm not really I totally sure. agree with you there. Yeah, I'm not really sure. But getting pressure on Pickett's going to be huge, especially when he's dropping back. Um, and the last thing and the last two things are no Paris Ford is absolutely huge. He does he definitely brings just the nasty mean energy. I don't think I've ever seen somebody literally just not care about their body like on the field. Like that dude just absolutely flies on the field and tries to kill people. He's a headhunter. And I think that's big, especially he's extremely athletic and 
for people like Virginia Tech that have a mobile quarterback and run a lot of RPO where they where the defense is going to need players to cover lots of field. I think people like Paris Ford in the game are game or or playmakers. So not having him is huge. And lastly, Pittsburgh coming off of what I call COVID reserve, which means that who, we don't know who's going to play for Pitt. We really don't, and we probably will find out on Thursday. We're recording this Wednesday night, so we'll probably find out for us tomorrow or Friday, if anything, who's going to be playing, who's not going to be playing, um, and then maybe some some Saturday morning. So it'll be really interesting. I think they're kind of in the same situation we were. We were coming off of our COVID reserve against Duke and. Um, so it'll just be really interesting to see how they play. They could play like a loose cannon and just not care and beat us, but they could also be missing a lot of players and just try to get the season over with. And we could blow them out. I don't think three and a half. I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to win by three points. We're either going to win by like 14 or we're going to lose by 14. I don't think this game is going to be close. I think it's going to be one or the other. I was wrong last week. I thought, that it was going to be one or the other. It ended up being close. I mean, Vegas usually gets it right, but for some reason, I just don't see it this week. Robert, I think I don't, I haven't touched on you on this one. Have I Uh, go for it, man, because you know, this is a tough game to pick. Even if you are not a Virginia tech or a Pittsburgh fan, because it's two teams that are four and four and should be better than they are. And they're not. So uh, Mr. Irby, what do you got? Yeah, I do have the dissenting opinion here, uh, picking Pitt. And if I can be completely honest, I have the optimistic fan, uh, but among all of the other things that this Virginia Tech team has done this year, they have killed my optimism, which is not good. Um, But I am picking Pitt uh, plus three and a half here. And I, I do think that there's, you know, a very real world in which uh, Virginia tech wins this game for the reasons that y'all said, I mean, you know, we don't have to get into that again. I mean, with Paris Ford out, that's a huge loss for them. But for me, there's too many ifs for Virginia tech. Um, And those ifs mainly being Khalil Herbert and James Mitchell. And even if those guys play odds are, they will be limited in some capacity as um, Herbert was last week. And so I, I think that without those guys at a hundred percent, that really, really, really hinders the Virginia tech offense Pitt, I mean, their run defense is spectacular. They give up less than 85 yards a game. Um, I think that their pass defense will be pretty suspect without Paris Ford. Um, but at the same time, they also get 14 or they have gotten 14 interceptions so far this season. Uh, 14 is a lot. That's almost two a game. Um, only three of those were Paris Ford. So that's 11 interceptions from other dudes. Um, they're very good. I, I think that just if this game, it has all the makings of turning into a showdown between Hendon Hooker and Kenny Pickett with their arms. And I think the biggest problem for um, Virginia Tech's offense so far this season has been Hendon Hooker has struggled to read the field. Um, and he's had, he's struggled when he's had to throw the ball and make plays with his arm. Um, you know, he, he has been throwing a fair few interceptions, a lot more than we were used to seeing him throw last year. Um, he is just not seeing the field quite as well. I don't know what it is that defenses are doing differently, but he's having trouble finding 
open receivers and say what you want about Kenny Pickett. Pitt is at least prepared for a game in which it's a passing competition because that's all their games have been. Um, so I just think that that tech, I, I just think there's too many question marks here. And I think that this pit defense will do enough to limit the Hokies. And even if tech wins, I, I could see this being a field goal game. If it was Hokies minus two and a half, I might be picking differently. It definitely feels like a toss up. And to your point about if this game gets into a passing Virginia tech's entire passing game right now is predicated on the run. Our passes is off of RPO. It's off of play action. Um, or at least some sort of backfield motion in which it looks like there could be a run, especially a quarterback run. So, I, I mean, I, I agree with you there. And I think Virginia Tech is a better passing team than what they've showed this year. And I think they're continuing to get better as the season goes on. But man, it's like if they can't run the ball, then they can't pass the ball. And I think they ran into that a little bit against Miami in the second half where Miami was starting to get a little bit more pressure on Hooker because all of Virginia Tech's passing plays were play action of some sort. Even when everyone in the world knew that they were going to pass the ball, they took that extra half second to a second, you know, with the play action. Meanwhile, Jalen Phillips is, you know, bearing down on Hendon Hooker. Uh, so I think that is a little bit of a worry here. Uh, if you are looking at Virginia Tech to, to score some points, because it doesn't look like this team is capable of a dominant defense performance. But, you know, speaking of run pass split, I, I said we get back to that last week against the best defense Tech has played this year by a mile in Miami. Virginia Tech ran 35 run plays and they ran 35 passing plays. 50-50 split. Um, and that was with Khalil Herbert. I think we could say at 50% go. Uh, it, pretty safe to say. I mean, less, a little bit, but uh, not 50%. You'd imagine he'd be closer to 75 after another week. Over under 60% run plays for Virginia Tech this week. It's a little bit different, but I, I think it's a big question because what are they going to do? What, what's Brad Cornelson going to do? I'm going to go under for a lot of the reasons that I just listed. Um, I mean, if we went 50-50 against Miami, I see no reason uh, for it to sway in any further direction against a much better running defense. I think to kind of echo what Irby said, I do think that, I mean, this is my fingers crossed kind of in, in, in hoping that somehow uh, Brad Cornelson is a, is a most devout locks of Saturday fan out there. And he's listening to this podcast, but um, this is the kind of game where if you have an overzealous uh, kind of front seven, you know, they do see some ability to rush the passer and get pressure on Hedden Hooker, and they saw the success that I think um, Miami had rushing on our uh, on our right side um, and up the middle. That they're going to try to overblitz in this game a little bit, and this is like the perfect counter for when hey, this is why we have Raheem Blackshear on the team. If he's going to prove his metal, this is where you start screening Pittsburgh like it's crazy and penalize them for being overly just wanting to. Uh, exert their will with their front seven because like we talked about earlier the the secondary was essentially neutralized when when Paris Fortaway were not as but their linebacker core are very athletic their front four are really good at getting the passer without a pass rush 
Um, so if they do try to kind of kick it in overdrive, like you said, we don't know who's going to be available. So we don't know what their game plan is going to look like. But if they have their lesser personnel on the field, my guess is they will try to overcompensate with some sort of like blitz package more common. So it just kind of opens up the 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 screen game a little bit more so. And if you brought in Raheem Blackshear, that is what you got him for is to get him the football five yards down the field or roughly around the line of scrimmage, not behind the line of scrimmage like they have been trying to do and let him make plays. And if that works out, I do see that being lower than, than 60%. Yeah. So in the last game where Khalil Herbert was healthy for the whole game against Louisville, Virginia tech had 41, uh, excuse me, Virginia tech had 48 rushing plays and 13 passing plays. That's about 79%. Uh, so that's what you're looking at with a, uh, you know, with a healthy Khalil Herbert. You're looking at stuff like that. These are massive numbers. These aren't, uh, these aren't, you know, sixty forty splits. Even I mean, this is a run first team. It's a run second team, and you know, quite frankly, it's a run third team. And then they punt. Uh, Brett and also Brad Cornelson. If you're if you're listening, I just want to talk. No hard feelings. I just want to talk. That's all it is, man. That's all it is. We're rooting for you. Uh, Brett, what do you have? Virginia Tech over under 60% rushing plays against Pittsburgh. So I might have the dissenting opinion here. I'm going to go over, and this is why. I think that because we got away from the run game a little bit last week, I think that hurt us. And I think, to be honest, I think Cornelson and Fuente are getting a little weary of uh, Hooker throwing the ball. And especially last week, throwing it down, him throwing it down the stretch, especially with five minutes to go. We didn't need to throw the ball there. And if we ran the ball five or six times on that possession to get it down to the to the even the 30-yard line, 25-yard line to kick a game winner, I mean, we'd have been probably close to 60% on uh, rushing the pass plays. So I think it's going to be close. But I think especially if Herbert ends up playing, and he's that's even at 80%, 75%, I think you're going to see the running game just kind of come back again. While I also do think that Pitt's front seven is is one of the better front sevens we'll face all season. I just think that Coral said Fuente pretty much have to, I think, after last week, or after the last couple of weeks, really, just they're going to have to go in on a clean slate. I think they're going to have to start looking back to where they had success, and I think that was running the football first. Yeah, Hendon Hooker on the year. I just pulled up his stats. Uh, 1,072 yards, seven touchdowns, four interceptions. So it's a QBR of 72.2, which is 40th in the nation. So not really uh, the season quarterbacking-wise that we thought we were going to get from Hendon Hooker. Obviously, running the football, he has been absolutely phenomenal. The dude's electric. He's a great runner. Uh, for all intents and purposes, he's a great team leader as well. The guy lays it out all out on the field. But... uh <sighs> You know, it's it's a little bit, it's a tough call. I think it's going to be around a 60-40 split for running. I'm going to go over because for as good as Pittsburgh is in a run defense, I think Virginia Tech is going to go up there and say like, all right, if we lose this game, it's not going to be because we get away from our bread and butter. If you're a run first team, that's totally okay. I mean, there is nothing wrong with being a run first team. When you have a guy like Khalil Herbert, who, I mean, he was in the Heisman talk for a while, guys. Like, if, if he would have stayed healthy and Virginia Tech would have probably pulled out that game against Wake Forest, momentum's different. He's different. Who knows what happens? Um, you know, I think 
if they go into that game and they lose the game because Hendon Hooker throws some interceptions that are untimely, there's a lot of three and outs. They give Pittsburgh the ball back quick. So time of possession goes to Pittsburgh. That's a worse way to lose than I think saying we ran our bread and butter. We ran our best stuff and it didn't work. Um, you know, neither is a good option, but I think you're going to see a tech team that continues to try to pass the ball, try to get it to Trey Turner, who has been playing quietly much, much better in the past few weeks. Uh, Tavion Robinson as well. I thought had a really good game against Miami. Um, and you know, James Mitchell, we don't know if he'll be back or not, but if he's back, I think you'll see him in the offense as well. And like you said, Chris Raheem Blackshear, just get the guy, the ball in space, stop trying to make him run through the tackles, get it to him outside the hashes. So Hendon Hooker will throw the ball. You won't see 10 pass attempts like you saw against Louisville, but, uh, I, I think they will stick with Khalil Herbert. If he is healthy, everything we've heard is that he will be healthier this week. So, uh, it, it's going to be an interesting game to watch from that perspective because Virginia Tech should win this game, I, I think, especially with the guys that Pitt will be missing, Pitt coming off the COVID reserve. Uh, it, it'll be a close game. And I think all of Hokie Nation wants this win bad. I, I mean, wants it bad, needs it bad. There's not a lot of hype around it, but man, you got to beat Pittsburgh. That's one of those teams that everybody in Orange and Maroon just loves to beat up on. Guys, any final thoughts as we step into week 12? Uh, I'm going to throw out a, a little bet here, and it's the UCF money line against Cincinnati, plus 180. Don't know why, just a feeling. Dylan Gabriel, going to light it up. UCF with the upset, plus 180. Yeah, Cincinnati by double. 24. Yeah, I, oh, wow. I had to double take when... <laughs> Ryan said earlier that UCF's putting up 619 yards of offense. Like that is just mental yardage. That is like that is unprecedented yardage. And They're so on pace for, to break the NCAA record, like not the D1 record, like the total NCAA record that was set by, I believe it was um Mississippi Delta, say or wherever Jerry Rice played college, Mississippi Delta, something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. But yeah, I I I can see that, Irby. I can. I really can. I think Cincinnati, it's it's every year one, one of these G5 teams slips up, and UCF is always just a scary team. I, I, I don't want Virginia Tech to play UCF for the foreseeable future. We played them one time. I think that was like, I don't know, probably 10, 15 years ago, and I hope we don't play them again for the foreseeable future because they're obviously well-coached and scary. So I like that. It's in Orlando. That's all I'm saying. UCF does play really well in Orlando. They don't have the fans, but UCF does play really well at that home stadium. Chris, any final thoughts? Other than my own personal announcement for my candidacy of the commissioner of the Sunbelt Conference, because I would love to just drive around New Orleans in like a Van Wilder style golf cart and just kind of sip highballs and, and drink bourbon and be the commissioner. I, I think that would be very fitting. I would wear one of those Bobby Bowden style straw kind of golf hats. It would be phenomenal. And that that's kind of my dream. That's, that's all I want to do. I'm going to parlay this lock spot into somehow getting to that. And it's going to be on ESPN for 30 for 30 of, of my progression up the ladder here. But um, that that's all I want in life. Hey man, don't let your dreams be dreams. Go out there and chase them. 
I have a vision board and it's just the Sunbelt Conference uh, logos of every team. And I'm just staring at it constantly. It's just a picture of Bourbon Street with like the hurricane stand right there on the corner. A thousand percent. (laughs) Well, guys, it's been fun. Uh, Again, great slate that we have coming up. Hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Sam of Saturday. Uh, Brett and I did a live stream last night on the Sons of Saturday Instagram page to talk some action. That was a lot of fun. We'll have to do that again with a few more people next week. Um, Hey, good luck betting this week. Let us know what your cards are looking like. And as always, go Hokies. Oh, no,